feels amazing. I never had a feeling. I never won, never got this far in my life, man. They sleep on us, man. Shout out to Long Beach, man. They sleep on all of us out there, man. Jordan Bell played a phenomenal game the other day. He's going to have to do it again. You know, we, we've got to get on those boards, but he's going to need a lot of help. Dylan Brooks, Dylan Ennis, our guards are going to have to come back and rebound. Uh, we're going to have to get in the fight, and it, it's going to be tough. I see them play on TV in mid-January, and they reminded me of the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> they reminded me of at that time, but with Bell and Brooks and those guys going up and down, uh, they're athletic, they play a tough defense, uh, uh, they're really good. And welcome into a Final Four edition of the Pacific Rim. Alongside Greg Peterson, I'm Jude Danube. Find Greg on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. I'm on the tweet machine at Jude Danube. Dudes on sports.com as well for Greg. Greg, it's Final Four. It's finally here. Uh, the excitement level, man, it's gearing up. As of the recording of this, about 71 hours from the Ducks tipping off against North Carolina. About 69 hours from uh, the other tip-off, Gonzaga and South Carolina. Has your excitement level reached a fever pitch yet, or is that still building? Well, now that you said the number 69, no, I'm kidding. Of course. I'm so pumped up for this. This is what you want all year long. We got three of our four Final Four teams. This is sort of what we expected, aside from, obviously, South Carolina. I think the North Carolina-Oregon matchup is going to be a good one. And you never know. South Carolina has been playing some great basketballs of late and have Cinderius Thornwell. Yeah. Let's just start with that matchup right there. We're, we're going to unpack these a little bit. We're going to get into the X's nose and get the matchups that matter, the head coaches, the strategy involved, what you expect to see when these two games take place. South Carolina as a seventh seed. They beat Marquette in a game that many people, us included, decided to take Woj and Marquette. That's going to happen. Then they upset Duke. In Greens in Greensboro, Greenville, Greenville, in that regional, and make it make it to the Sweet Sixteen. We thought they might play SMU. They end up playing Baylor. They beat them. And they keep their dramatic run going, and ultimately uh, take down Florida in the Elite Eight in New York City. And now here they are. Um, at what point do they become a team of destiny? <laughs> If they win the whole shebang, they certainly will be. And heck, just the fact that they got here right now, they are because they had to overcome a seven-point deficit against Marquette, had to overcome a seven-point deficit against Duke, and had to overcome a seven-point halftime deficit against Florida. And, of course, they are a seven seed. Mm. So I think they are already a team of destiny. I think the run will probably end here because they just have not... They just haven't seen a team like Gonzaga because the defense that Gonzaga plays is so suffocating. I know that Baylor plays good defense, but I think Gonzaga is on another level. And I think that the combination of great guard play and two seven-footers down low is going to be a little bit too much for South Carolina. And I just don't know if Carlos Silva down low is going to be able to match up with those guys because Silva, very nice player. He's been playing out of his mind recently. You know, it's funny you say that. When was the last time we were talking about a major Division One program and the fact that they haven't seen a defense like Gonzaga. More often than not, we talk about that with Gonzaga against another big-time opponent that they haven't faced that year, as if they were the underdogs. But in this case, it's reversed. What does that tell you about the Bulldogs? It tells me that they've got guys that used to play at Power 5 programs. I mean, Jonathan Williams, transfer from Missouri. Nigel Williams-Goss, transfer from Washington. Jordan Matthews was last year on the Cal team that was a four-seed in the NCAA tournament. And they've done a great job of recruiting because we may, I mean, Gonzaga may not be in a Power 5 conference 
but they can recruit better than most Power 5 conferences. So that tells me that Gonzaga has not just arrived as a good college basketball program, they are now a great college basketball program, and I would argue one of the top 15 in the nation. All right, Gonzaga's trip here, they beat South Dakota State 66-44 in a game that they held South Dakota State to 20 points in the second half. Defense, stingy. Then they take on Northwestern in a 1-8 game that will long be remembered for um, Chris Collins going onto the court, obviously reacting to the missed goaltending call on Zach Collins on the other end for Gonzaga. But the Bulldogs, to their credit, built a huge, huge lead before that, and Northwestern was on the comeback trail in that game. Gonzaga holds on to win that game. Then in the Sweet 16, they get a huge matchup with Bob Huggins in West Virginia. Press Virginia. Can Gonzaga take care of the ball? A little shaky at that. But then West Virginia's three-pointers were not falling for them in this game no. in the same way that that it was uh, when they beat Notre Dame in round number two. And then the Elite Eight, they take on a Cinderella Xavier team and take care of business. But it, it seems to me that that West Virginia game was really the, the uh, coming into being, if you will, of this Gonzaga team in the tournament. They had to win that game, survive and advance in that game to prove their medal in the postseason. Would you agree with that? I would agree, and I will say this. West Virginia, probably the hardest team in the NCAA tournament to prepare for because they might not have the talent of, say, North Carolina, of, say, a Duke, one of those teams, but, I mean, playing against that press, we've heard so many players say this year, there's no way of preparing for it. And while Bucknell got down uh, 27-12 to early, Notre Dame got uh, just routed 10-0 to in the beginning of that game before they really came into their own. Gonzaga actually held up and played pretty even up the first couple minutes. That's why they were able to win that game. And then obviously you cannot forget about that Matthews clutch three at the end. That was absolutely huge, enormous for them. But Gonzaga has a way of just being able to adjust to any style that they play against. We saw it in the Advocare Invitational. I mean, this was all the way back in 2016. I mean, like November, December of, of the last calendar year. But I mean, they take down Florida 78-73 to in Orlando. So it was essentially a home game for the Gators. Two days later, they play an Iowa State team that is the exact opposite. I mean, their their biggest man is six foot six Yante Burton, who used to be a guard at Marquette. They are able to knock them off. They get out to like a 17-point lead at the half as well. So Gonzaga is a team that can play multiple different styles. They can shift to what you do and beat you at what you do. What does the South Carolina matchup then remind you of in terms of what Gonzaga has faced to this point of their season? Anything stylistically out of the WCC may be hard to to dictate? Anything out of the tournament? Is there any West Virginian? Oh, man. I would say probably, if anything else, Iowa State just because, I mean— I would say really didn't have a player like Silva down low, but past that, you've got a guy like Sindarius Thornwell. He's six foot five, six foot six. He does everything for this team. He reminds me a lot of Deontay Burton. I mean, for South Dakota or South Carolina, I should say, they've got a bunch of guys that are able to shoot the three. They do multiple different things, just like in Iowa State. So I would say that's your best comparison. Who's going to shut down Sindarius Thornwell, or do you have to shut him down? I think that you're not going to be able to shut down Sindari Sornwell the single digits or anything like that, but if there is a player that's going to match up with him, I would have to say it's going to have to be Jordan Matthews because Jordan Matthews is a guy that's been here before. He's got some size. I would say he's about six foot three, maybe six foot four. That's a rough guesstimation off the top of my head, but he's got a little bit of size. He might be giving up an inch or two, but I would say that he's a guy that's going to have to lock down on him. Gonzaga is one I'm going to, or they're going to want to work inside out. Does Shimmick Karnowski have a matchup advantage here? Yes, Shimmick Karnowski definitely does. And if they can avoid getting Zach Collins into foul trouble, because mm. 
The one thing that you could take away from that Xavier game that Gonzaga did not do well, Collins was in foul trouble, and I believe he fouled out of that game. So that is one thing that he has to do. They have to make sure that they can have two bigs out there because that way... Silva can only guard one guy. I mean, who is who's South Carolina going to have to leave out there on an island? That'll be the question. All right, let's uh, get your prediction here. Gonzaga and South Carolina, who wins? What's the score? I've got to go with Gonzaga. I mean, you can't go against it now. We're in the Final Four. We picked these guys all the way. I'm going to go 75-67 to 67 on the final. Okay, I'm going to go 71-58 to 58 and have that string of stingy defensives under 60 points keep going for Mark Few's club. Mark Few, by the way, man, God bless that guy, made the Final Four. And has an impeccable tan, by the way. My goodness, he does a great job for being out there in Washington. (laughs) All right, let's go to the other game. No tans, ifs, or buts about this. Dana Altman and Roy Williams. Tan and those guys don't go go together. No, Dana Altman does not have a great tan going on. A couple of Midwest cats right there. And they both share some some shared history from the state of Kansas. Roy Williams winning with with UK or KU, I should say. Dana Altman coming up uh, nicely with Kansas State before he jumped to Creighton. Uh, this is undoubtedly the bigger of the two matchups from a profile standpoint. Let's start with the Oregon Ducks, winners of the Midwest region. We both predicted you and I that they would come out of this Midwest region. Lo and behold, they have. We thought they may be playing Purdue in the Elite Eight. That wasn't the case. They play Kansas. They still beat them by 14 points. It looks the same on paper. It looks the same on paper, without a doubt. They also had a scare with Rhode Island that we were both worried about. We both had Rhode Island beating Creighton. That was certainly a scare. Tyler Dorsey comes up big with the game winner there. They have a scare with Michigan. Ugly game. They come out on top there. Three-pointer doesn't fall for Derek Walton Jr. in the end. The Ducks, regardless of who they played, they know how to win ugly. They know how to win close games. They know how to win in a variety of ways. How much of an advantage has that been for them? And do you think they can find one more way to win against North Carolina? I think it is a big advantage for the Ducks. And the Ducks, the one thing I've been saying on radio the past week is this team knows how to close better than any other team in the nation. Remember when they went to the Bay Area out there in February? I mean, they had to pull out wins against Cal and Stanford at the last second on last second buckets. I mean, the Dylan Brooks three obviously was huge. And I believe it was Jordan Bell who got the last bucket against Stanford, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, that, that crazy tip in that he barely got a hand Yeah, on. they got like five different opportunities and it finally went. I mean, they had to pull out a game in the Maui Invitational in the Maui Invitational against Tennessee, I had to make sure I was not yeah. saying Maui Classic because I hate it when a certain person uses the Maui Classic, but I will digress. It is a little bit of a joke around here in the office, so I'll just leave it at that. But I mean, they were able to pull out that win, and then you you remember UCLA versus Oregon at Eugene, and Dylan Brooks has that big three there as well. I mean, they blow out Arizona. They get big wins in conference against teams like Colorado at home, Cal at home, things like that. They go to Utah. They pull out that close win. And this team has been in just a variety of different games, high scoring, low scoring. Heck, I think they had the biggest margin of victory this year when they knocked off Savannah State, like 120 to negative 50 or whatever the heck it was. Yeah, so, real nail bladder. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a team that has done it in so many different ways, and I think that does bode well for the Ducks. Now they've been shooting exceptional from the outside, especially Tyler Dorsey, 16 for 27 from three-point range in the NCAA tournament. They're shifting indoors to a football stadium. Do you have any concerns about the sustainability of that outside shooting as you change the landscape as it's going to be changed? Villanova was shooting lights out in the NCAA tournament last year. They go to a football stadium, they look just fine. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's just more of a mentality thing because actually on our our regular guys show, which I'll give a nice little plug for that, you were actually just hosting it a couple hours ago. So 
There's that. Uh, we had Wally Zerbiak on Monday, and he actually had the chance to play in a football stadium, and he scored 43 points in one. And what he said to us was that it's all a mentality thing. I mean, if you let it affect you, it might. But if you just look at it as a normal game, it really won't creep up into your head. So I don't think it'll be too much of a factor. And when it comes to mentality, the Oregon Ducks have guys that I just feel have strong mental capability. Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks. I mentioned earlier, those are guys with onions, big time onions. And Dorsey and Brooks and Jordan Bell, even though he won't be doing much outside shooting. I personally am convinced that Brooks and Dorsey won't let it affect him as much. I hope. I don't think it, <laughs> I don't think they will let a, let it affect them. Dylan Brooks is just a proven winner. All right. However, you look at the talent that's on the other side of the floor in the North Carolina Tar Heels. Everybody wanted to fall in love with the Kansas Jayhawk backcourt, and you couldn't blame them. They're they're very talented, but North Carolina is a more talented basketball team. They just are. Yep. Kennedy Meeks, Justin Jackson, Theo Pinson, Joel, Bradley, Joel Berry, Bradley. The list goes on and on. People don't give North Carolina enough credit from a sheer talent standpoint. I think Justin Jackson is the best player on the floor and there's something to be said that Kennedy makes the second best. But Dylan Brooks might be working his way in there too. And of course, we just saw the the performance that Jordan Bell had and Tyler Dorsey. So maybe that's up for conversation and debate. But can you just have a comment on how talented the players are on Carolina this year? Their 10th best player, 7th Woods, is a McDonald's All-American. This is a team that can go 11 deep. They won the rebounding margin in the nation by a wide margin. They rebound like... 35 to 40 percent of their misses it is going to be so tough for Oregon in this game just because I mean Jordan Bell is playing absolutely magnificently this tournament but he's one man he's going up against like three or four big men that can all crash a glass they've got so much length with guys like Theo Pinson Justin Jackson and company I mean it's really a tough ass for Oregon and this is a team that went to the national title game last year and had their hearts ripped out so you have to think that this is a little bit of a revenge tour for them so that they can hoist a trophy at the end. Justin Jackson had some offensive slippage at the end of the ACC schedule and in the ACC tournament then he started coming alive again in the NCAA tournament and keep in mind he's one of the best two-way players in the country a lot of length on him and he had a really he did a really nice job in shutting down Malik Monk, quote unquote, shutting down Malik Monk. Held him under 20 points though in Carolina's close win over Kentucky. Uh how much of a role will Justin Jackson play in this game? I think it'll be a huge one, especially if the Joel Berry injury is something because I mean Joel Berry is a very talented player, but I mean if he's going to be out, they need someone else to step up and they certainly do have a bunch of depth, but that will rely them to that will make them play a little bit of a different game, and I think that will require Justin Jackson to take a little bit more ownership of the offense and handle the ball a bit more. If you're Roy Williams, who do you put Justin Jackson on to guard for the Ducks? Is it Dorsey or is it Brooks, or is it something else? I would have to go with Brooks just because Brooks is a little bit bigger than Dorsey, so I would have to go there, and then I would put Theo Pinson out there on Tyler Dorsey. There was a conversation, or there was a moment in the Kentucky-Carolina game on Sunday where Justin Jackson's was talking trash to Malik Monk. Keep in mind, this is Malik Monk who dropped 47 on him in their matchup earlier that season. Justin Jackson gets put on him to man up against him this time around, and Jackson starts talking some trash to him. And that's what Malik Monk said after the game. He said, hey, man, he made it emotional. He he got in my face. He face-guarded me all game long. I'm sitting there looking at Dylan Brooks for the Ducks, and I'm like, man, that's one of the more emotional cats in this NCAA tournament. Greg, I personally feel there's going to be a time when, when Brooks and Justin Jackson come face-to-face. It might be in the first half, might be later, but do you think uh, do you think that is going to be the most premier, well, 
I mean, it's tough. Kennedy Meeks, Jordan Bell is right up there too. But what do you think of, of a Dylan Brooks-Justin Jackson matchup, and will that get emotional? I think it would get emotional. I think it would be a whole ton of fun. And keep in mind that first North Carolina versus Kentucky matchup, 203 points were scored in that game in regulation. So clearly the Casper defense was being implemented by both teams. But I mean, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these two go up against each other. And if there is a chest-to-chest moment, I want to be there to see it, and I'll have my popcorn ready. What about Pinson against Dorsey? Advantage? I would give it offensively to Dorsey, but I think Pinson is a good defensive player, and he certainly is going to have his hands up because you remember against the Rhode Island game, Tyler Dorsey took that three to win it because, I mean, Rhode Island guys, they gave him a little bit of space. They didn't have their hands up. And that's not going to be the case with North Carolina's no perimeter sorry. length. And of course we know the matchup down low. Kennedy Meeks, one of the best rebounders in the country. His offensive rebound and putback of Joel Berry's miss won him the game over Arkansas. He's been doing that all year long. 6'10", 260 speaks for itself. How does how will Jordan Bell fare? This is not Landon Lucas, man. This, these are not the Kansas guards coming in at 5'10", trying to float stuff up against you in isolation. How do you think Jordan Bell will do against Kennedy Meeks? I think Jordan Bell will do well against Kennedy Meeks, but you also have Isaiah Hicks to worry about, and that's where I think it's going to kill him because Jordan Bell is one man. He can't guard both of them. Foul trouble will be, or how how this game is called, I think, will be interesting. And we do have one of a couple of the uh, uh, referees from the UNC versus Kentucky game actually doing the game in this Final Four as well. I was taking a look at the referees. How did they end up calling that one? I mean, obviously, I know they maybe missed a couple travels, but did they let them play? There were times where they called a lot, then there were times where they let them play. It was a little bit herky-jerky. All right, so when it's all said and done, my X factor is Cavell Bigby-Williams because, look, I think Jordan Bell is not going to get out of this game unscathed from a foul trouble perspective. He only had one foul called against him, eight block shots against Kansas, I don't think you're going to get by with just one foul guarding a guy like Kennedy Meeks and having to battle for as much as you are in the rebound department just by... He's going to have at least four fouls in this game. The timing of his fouls are going to matter, but I do think Cavell Bigby-Williams is going to get meaningful minutes and he has to come through big in the stead of Chris Boucher. You know what this could remind me of? Hmm. You remember when Georgetown and Ohio State met in the 2007 Final Four? Yeah, yeah. Roy Hibbert and Greg Oden both had two fouls on them in the first four minutes and both were on the sidelines for like the last 16 minutes of the first half. I sincerely hope that does not happen in this game because that would be terrible. What if it does? Who has the depth advantage in the front court? North Carolina, without a doubt. I mean, if you take Jordan Bell off the floor, can you really trust Cavell Bigby-Williams for 16 minutes? And then what would happen if he gets in foul trouble too? Then you have nobody. Okay. All right. Well, I would hope that Bell doesn't get too deep in foul trouble. And that Cavell Bigby Williams, with the minutes allocated to him, he comes up strong in those moments. All right, final score. What do you have? North Carolina, Oregon. I've got North Carolina getting 81 points and Oregon getting 72. I have 77 to 70, Carolina. Actually, sorry, 77 73. I did have Oregon covering the plus five. I said that on the radio today. Yep. I, I need to have, I need to so be consistent. So, yeah, Dad, and there are three. There it is, 77 73. I have Carolina over the Ducks. And at the buzzer, he gets the cover. There it is. There it is. And we'll see what happens. Uh, then Gonzaga in North Carolina, really quickly. What are your thoughts on that matchup? We both have Gonzaga over Carolina in the title game in our brackets. We both are picking that once more, reinforcing it for Final Four weekend. Why, why do you like the Zags over Carolina? And it should be a really good game. 
I like that they have two seven-footers to square off against North Carolina. North Carolina is dealing with an injury to Joel Berry, which means Nigel Williams-Goss is going to be able to eat them alive. I think that Jordan Matthews is going to be able to win his matchup against Theo Pinson. And I believe that Melson coming off the bench for Gonzaga going to be a big X factor for him because he's been playing some huge minutes for this team and looked really good against Xavier. Gonzaga's first trip to the Final Four will result in them hoisting the National Championship trophy for Mark Few, and it'll be poetic as it is. They will be the Pacific Northwest champions. As a, it's, How amazing is that? Pacific Northwest against the Carolina schools for Final Four. That's it's incredible, and I believe this bizarre. is the first time we've seen a Pac-12 team of any kind in of any kind in the Final Four since UCLA in 2008. That's correct. Kevin Love, Lake Oswego, and Russell Westbrook right out of L.A. We both have Gonzaga and North Carolina moving on this weekend, meeting in the title game. Both have Gonzaga trumping and winning. Greg, Pacific Rim has been fun all year. We'll come back again one more time next week. Break down who ended up winning the national championship game. And you know me. I will not be giving up on my college basketball coverage. It never ends with me. Never ends with at June underscore 81. I'm at you to newbie. Thanks for listening all year, everybody. We've been overwhelmed with the support and the uh, the listenership and the audience. Let's keep that going. And go Ducks for everyone at 1029 and 750 the yes. game. And look, they were seven-point underdogs to Kansas. They were underdogs to Michigan. They've been underdogs before. They were underdogs when they played the first time against UCLA. All wins. All wins outright. So you never know what could happen. He's Greg Peterson. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Pacific Rim. Enjoy the Final Four, everybody.